just to clarify, you will be eating. I'm not speaking for an hour. I'll speak for half an hour, then we'll eat, and you'll have time to come up with some questions, and then I'll come back at, at 1 o'clock. The mic is gone. Now it's back? Okay. So, half hour talk, half hour of eating, and coming up with questions, and then we'll do questions at, at 1. Okay. Uh, I have uh, four items that I plan on talking about. The first is um, an explanation on why the NDP won or how they won. Uh, the second is the challenges facing the NDP. A third is a discussion on the agenda of the NDP, both economic and non-economic. And then finally, a bit of a speculation on the future of Alberta politics. Uh, and, it, and the reason I, I say that in speculation terms is to set this up a bit. The first is I've been traveling around the country a bit over the last month since the election, and I keep ask, being asked the same question. Uh, after they go, the NDP, really, in Alberta? Use question mark. Uh, and they said, did you see this coming? I said, depends on when you ask me. Uh, I said, if you asked me a week before the election, yeah, you could see this coming. And probably the best comment I made, because the election was on a Tuesday, was to the Calgary Herald on Monday. And they said, what do you see happening? I said, every piece of empirical evidence that I know of suggests an NDP majority government. But I said, this is Alberta. This is the Tories. Until I actually see it, I'm not going to believe it. That's a week. If you had asked me at the beginning of the campaign, I would have said, and I wrote, another majority PC government. So something happened during the campaign, and we need to talk about that. And the, and the second sort of setup is, is a comment I made on the air, election night. <clears throat> it was a joke, by the way. <laughs> it was, uh, well, it's clear that the NDP is going to form a majority government now. The, the big question is, who is going to beat the NDP in 2050? Uh, because as we know in Alberta, we don't elect one-term governments. We elect dynasties. Uh, so I will touch on that, whether we are actually looking at a 44-year uh, NDP uh, dynasty. So the first is, how did the NDP uh, win? And I think it really was the nature of the campaign in one respect. But the second is when the ballot question changed. Throughout the late fall in the early part of the pre-election period, uh, Jim Prentice was trying to frame the question on a catastrophic economic situation in Alberta, and this is the progressive conservative plan against two extremist plans, an NDP plan that would be uh, heavily on taxes and heavily on spending, and a Wild Rose plan that was no taxes and huge cuts into spending. It was the PCs that were the cautious middle ground. And he set this framework up probably since November, December, and as the situation worsened, the fiscal situation, that's how he framed the question. That's how he wanted the ballot question to be. But then the ballot question changed, and it changed from the budget to trust and accountability. And when that question changed, the PCs were in trouble because now Jim Prentice had to carry 44 years of PC baggage on his back, uh, the legacies of, of the Redford uh, scandal era, of, of uh, Stelmack's resignation. But Prentice was not an innocent bystander here. He contributed to it, and he contributed in very significant ways. <clears throat> the first was the early election call. 
not just an early election call three years after the previous election, but in violation of election legislation. Now, this doesn't mean it was illegal. It was not an illegal election. There's enough wiggle room uh, in the legislation on allowing the LG to call an election whenever he or she suits it. In addition, I have real problems with fixed election periods in a parliamentary system. Nevertheless, this was a major campaign promise of the PC government, a campaign promise that they enshrined in legislation that was violated um, um, for, for reasons that the government said were due to the worst financial situation in a generation, or at least since 2008. Um, and, and it was also at a time when uh, the Liberal Party did not have a leader, the Wild Rose Party didn't have a leader. It looked opportunistic. And so I think he contributed to that issue of trust and accountability. In addition, there were a whole series of scandals around the nominations of the PC Party in this campaign that also contributed to it, um, involving Kelly Charlebois, the executive director, uh, of cabinet ministers in Edmonton resigning uh, over some stuff that occurred in nominations. There are still court cases pending involving bribery allegations, um, all these sorts of things that in one sense are very inside baseball about how parties do things, but seem to represent a way that the party dealt with things. And I think it culminated with the resignation of Justice Minister Jonathan Dennis, and then the news coming out on the Monday, the day before an election, over um, uh, assault allegations by his ex-wife, allegations that he controlled all the judges and police uh, in uh, Alberta as Justice Minister. These are simple allegations, but you do not want these on the front page of the paper in the lead news story the day before an election. And so I think that was a contributing factor. And finally, and most significantly on the trust and accountability, was Prentice's role in the floor crossing in December. The, at the time, uh, I remember saying, uh, this may be really good for the PC party, and it is horrible for Alberta democracy. I stand by the horrible for Alberta democracy. I may have been wrong about this being good for the PC party. And it was unprecedented. I was researching to ever find an example of the leader of the official opposition crossing the floor to join the government in any Canadian jurisdiction, in any Canadian province, um, and I did find one. In 1866, George Brown joined with John A. Macdonald to help form Canada. Um, and we haven't seen one since. And my guess is after the experience of the Wild Rose PC floor crossings, we'll never see one again. Uh, and often people go after a really cynical political move, and this is as cynical as you could find. They go, why aren't people ever punished for this? Well, I will say that everybody involved in this floor crossing was punished. All nine people, and if you add Carrie Toll and Ian Donovan, uh, who left earlier, all 11 uh, are, no, are no longer sitting in government. Some retired because they saw the writing on the wall. Some were defeated by the PC nomination, and others were defeated in the general election. Um, Daniel Smith has been punished by this, and now Jim Prentice has been punished by this. And so I think the legacy of the floor crossings really, really mattered. So that's an explanation, I think, of why the PCs lost. It doesn't explain why the NDP won. And I think what had happened was this was not an ideologically driven election. Uh, 
Instead, this was a classic throw-the-bums-out election. And what they were looking for is who was the best party that could throw the bums out. And I had people coming to me during the campaign say, I can't decide between the Wild Rose Party and the NDP. Now, you may think that that's silly, you know, that you can't decide between a party that promises to raise taxes and a, and a party and raise spending and a party that promises to cut taxes and cut spending. How can you not decide between those two polar opposites? They didn't care. This wasn't about policy. This was who has the best chance of throwing the PCs out. And it is clear when you look at the map of Alberta that different constituencies made that choice. In much of rural Alberta, the choice was the Wild Rose Party. Uh, in the case of uh, much of urban Alberta, uh, it was the NDP. And so why, why the NDP? Well, one is I think they had the, uh, the most popular leader, uh, Rachel Notley. In fact, they had the longest-serving leader, believe it or not, in, in Rachel Notley. Um, she, we knew, and, and, and I knew, that they were on the upswing in both Edmonton as well as in Lethbridge. I mean, they had their party convention here. But to think six weeks prior to the election or the election call that they were going to sweep Calgary, I just I did not see that coming. Joe Sisi, who's the new current finance minister and one of the star candidates, did an internal poll in his riding before he decided to run. And they said a generic NDP candidate finishes third in the riding and Joe Sisi finishes second. But something happened during the campaign, and I think what it showed was the NDP looked best mobilized to win, that they had the strongest team compared to the other opposition parties. And then it was the debate performance. I'd written a piece the morning of the debate going through Canadian and American political science research to say in the vast majority of debates, they simply don't matter. And in the history of Alberta debates, they don't matter. But I said, I think this debate will matter. And the reason I said it would matter is because at that point, midway through the campaign, the race was tightening. And second, all of the leaders were brand new from 2012. Jim Prentice had come in in September. Rachel Notley had come in in September. Uh, Brian Jean had come in in late March. Uh, David Swan used to be the Liberal leader, but had never actually run a general election. So we had four brand new leaders. So I said, the debate will matter. And you could see it after the opening statements. When the first question went to Jim Prentice, and he turns his back to the other two, uh, leaders and go, goes directly at Rachel Notley. This was a planned strategy where he felt he could destroy the NDP momentum by eliminating Rachel Notley as a threat. He might have miscalculated uh, <laughs> because Rachel Notley wins the debate. So this is the first time that the PCs have ever gone after the NDP. Uh, usually they pat them on the head and, and say, you know, let, let's focus. They had a press conference a week earlier where they brought in seven members of the cabinet to attack the Wild Rose budget. They were ignoring the NDP. And so I think this showed their internal polling saying, the NDP is the real threat. We need to go after Notley. They did, and they failed. Um, you know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like launching a coup. It, you better take the leader out uh, because if you don't, you're in a lot of trouble. So <clears throat> I think why the NDP won, it was more a case of the PCs losing 
But the NDP ran a flawless campaign, a great debate performance, a charismatic leader, and it just became an orange wave. Um, Subsequent to the election, there's been a lot of discussion about some of these paper candidates who have found themselves as MLAs. I will say on the record, none of my students were elected. Uh, Several of them ran, but they did not win. Um, I did have a dean run for the NDP, and he lost in Calgary, so I I joke with Mark about that. Um, So uh, uh, the point is they did not expect to win. The NDP did not expect to win. And you don't just have to believe me when I say this. All you have to do is ask the current premier. And she gave a great interview, a process interview, saying it was about a week out where she realized they were about to form government and they had to completely change the last week of the campaign because their plan was to work 18, 20-hour days for the last week of the campaign, then have the election, then take a holiday. When she realized they were about to win, she realized we actually have more work to do the day after the election than we do before, and she started to scale down her public appearances and start to assemble a transition team. Um, so, you know, those are, those are some things around, around the NDP uh, victory. The second thing I want to talk about are the challenges facing them. Any party that replaces a 44-year dynasty has huge challenges. No one in this government um, has experience in governing. Only four out of the 54 MLAs have ever been in the legislature before, um, which is why they're bringing in a lot of backroom people from people who have governed um, out of Saskatchewan, out of Manitoba, out of British Columbia. Um, apparently the, uh, the, the Bob Ray government of Ontario, they're, they're leaving those people alone. Uh, <laughs> but they're bringing in other groups because they need the help on basic governing. So that's one challenge, a very inexperienced government. But it wouldn't matter when that transition occurred. If that transition had occurred in 2012, which it almost did, you'd have had a wild rose uh, party that was inexperienced. So that's one thing. There were some issues around the bureaucracy. You may have been aware of some of the paper shredding that occurred in the first couple weeks. Uh, I think there remain some challenges at the highest level of the bureaucracy in the relationship that they have with the NDP. So there's going to be some transition issues. Um, the fiscal situation has not ended. We still, Rachel Notley has the same fiscal situation that Jim Prentice has. Uh, So that is going to be a problem. Um, Expectations are huge. So um, there's already been an infusion of funds into education. There's been promises of more money into health care. There is a backlash in Calgary because they've delayed a decision over the cancer center. Um, Expectations from the groups that supported the NDP, they're going to want things done. But the fiscal situation remains the same. And... She should be thankful that the contracts with AUPE and with the teachers and with the nurses still have two years to go because if she was in the midst of contract negotiations with groups that had been supporting her, now she's on the other side of the table, I think that would be an awkward, difficult situation, as has been the experience of other NDP governments provincially in Canada. I think that's going to be a problem. The expectations of what she can do are here and the financial resources that she has are here. Um, We have a problem with the budget. I I wrote a piece for the Globe and Mail about a week ago talking about the ghost of Jim Prentice. He tabled the budget 
It was never debated in the legislature because they called an election before the ledge debated it. Uh, the, led, the budget was never passed. The government that tabled the budget was defeated, yet many of those aspects of the budget are going to go forward. Um, and there's a whole variety of reasons for that that I can talk about later. You're not really going to see a major budgetary shift, at least on the revenue side. Spending you can increase, but on the revenue side until 2016, um, Joe CC has a very busy summer ahead of him in preparing for that fall budget. So these are all challenges that the NDP is facing. Some of them are ideological, but most of them involve a transition from a 44-year dynasty to something new, and this would occur whether it was a right-wing government, a centrist government, or a left-wing government. The third item I wanted to discuss is what do I think of the, um, the agenda of the NDP? So as I said, uh, even though they, uh, the, the vote, I think, was based more on trust and accountability and throw the PCs out, the fact is the NDP won the election. They're going to be allowed under our system to implement their agenda that they campaigned on. So I want to separate it into the economic side and onto the non-economic side. On the economic side, there will be an increase in corporate taxes. It probably won't occur until 2016 uh, because of that budgetary problem, but there will be an increase. They campaigned on that. And in fact, the issue of corporate taxes was a major campaign issue uh, because Jim Prentice had said, you know, if you want to know where the problem lies in Alberta finances, look in the mirror. We're all in this together. Everybody's going to share the pain. Oh, but I'm not going to raise corporate taxes. And this was a major political problem. I ran into a good friend of mine who is a senior PC staffer the day after the election. I said, why? Why didn't you put some sort of increase in there? It would have immunized you from that political opposition. And he goes, I said the same thing. And they would show me graphs and numbers. I said, those don't matter when you're on the doorstep, what the graphs show, what the economists say about corporate taxes. The fact is everybody is paying more except for one group. And when you're the premier who used to be a millionaire banker, it looks bad. And he says, that's what I told him. So there you go. So there will be an increase in corporate taxes. There will be an increase in progressive income taxes. Um, those making more than 100000 are going to pay more. Those making more than 250000 are going to make more. Um, Jim Prentice did move off the flat tax in his budget proposal, uh, but he barely, barely moved by. And one of the comments I made when I saw the budget, I said, if you're going to get rid of the flat tax and go to a progressive tax, have a real progressive tax, not one that raises those making more than 100000 by 1% and those making more than a quarter of a million by 1.5% have a real progressive income tax. Well, in 2016, you're going to see a more progressive uh, income tax in, in this province. Um, so that's some stuff on the economic agenda. Uh, they were able to get to Revenue Canada quick enough and that health care contribution levy, don't call the premium, a health care contribution levy, that's gone. Okay. So you won't be paying that in your, in your taxes. Uh, that's part of their economic agenda. Uh, and there's going to be stuff around the energy sector, most notably the there will be a royalty review. I gave a talk last week to the Economic Society of Calgary, and so there were you know, 
a lot of economists there. I use graphs for that one. Uh, and there was a lot of discussion about the royalty review. And, and one guy who, who's an economist for, for a major oil company went on and talked about this was the worst thing possible and rattled off a whole bunch of things. Then another economist from another energy company said, can someone tell me what the effective royalty rate is in Alberta? And it's a very complicated system. Uh, dealing with gas, dealing with conventional gas, dealing with oil sands, dealing with depreciations. There's a lot of moving parts. No one could answer the question in the room. And so he stops and goes, well, isn't that a good reason for a review? Now, um, I do accept the comment about um, you know, the oil companies saying this creates uncertainty. So one of the things I would do is actually legislate an ongoing review process. So every Pick a year, five years, seven years, ten years. You're going to look at royalties, and you're going to establish a process on how you're going to do about that. I'm a simple department head at a small university. We have a lot of procedures on regular program reviews every seven years. I'm in the process of starting one. And there's a whole series of things that you have to do. Why couldn't they legislate that? That would provide you certainty to be able to say, guess what, in 2025, you're going to be doing a royalty review. Um, I think the reason that they're scared is because of the impact of the last royalty review, which had some process issues, um, and they, they equate a review with an increase, uh, which is actually very politically popular in this province. Um, so the royalty review, I think, is going to be a big challenge. Uh, it, they, it is going ahead because it was a major plank of the NDP, and they won the election. Um, so these are some I, some some of the economic uh, agenda items. We move off of the economic agenda, though, and I think there is some non-economic. And the biggest one that I think and I hope for and I pray for it would be what I call the democratic accountability agenda. And this would start with campaign finance reform. Campaign fi We have really bad non-existent rules in this province. Um, where you're allowed to donate $15,000 in non-election years, $30,000 in election years, and based on the, the, the precedent of the Daryl Cates donation, you can even bundle that up together and make a $400,000 donation in the last week of a campaign uh, because they said, uh, yeah, that's 14 people working together. Um, I don't think it was 14 people, but that would, be, that would be a start. I would also ban corporate and union donations. And... It wouldn't be hard to develop a model like this because we have one federally, a model that, in fact, the Conservative Party federally supports strongly. Campaign finance reform would be supported by the Wild Rose opposition. I think that's an easy thing to do, and it would have benefits well beyond um, however long the NDP government lasts. Uh, to do so. So I think that's one part of the democratic agenda, but I don't think it's the only one. I think we need tougher conflict of interest guidelines. We need a stronger ethics commissioner. Um, we need what I call uh, pre-red red zone. So in other provinces, in the weeks before an election, governments can't use their office to campaign. You can't do that during a by-election. So during the October by-election, Gordon Dirks, who was education minister, Gordon Dirks, who was running in Calgary Elbow, was making decisions based as education minister involving 
moving uh, schools in Calgary Elbow higher on the priority list during the by-election campaign. I think those things should all be banned. All of those things would be widely supported by the opposition party. There's actually bipartisan support here. These things wouldn't cost any money, and they would greatly improve democracy. Now, it is possible that the third party might disagree with most of these, uh, but given how chastened they have become or should become since the last election, I would hope uh, that they would not try to speak up about that. I, I, would, I would find it difficult to have um, Rick McIver standing and talking about how important it is to remain having big money in, in politics. So uh, I think the democratic accountability agenda is, is important. I think it will be easy to do. We just need the will and the opportunity. I think we have those. And it will be widely supported by Albertans and by parties within the legislature. Which leads us to the future of Alberta politics. On the economic agenda, um, things are going to change. I don't think those will have as big of an impact as the non-economic agenda. And the reason I say that is if you look at the 44 years of PC government, this was a government that raised taxes. This was a government that lowered taxes. This is a government that cut spending and blew up hospitals. This was a government that handed out checks and built hospitals. So there was no strict ideology of the PCs during this time. Their economic policies were right across the map, depending on who you talked about. There was big differences between a Peter Lawhe, let's say, and an Ed Stelmack, or a first two-term Ralph Klein and the last two terms of, of Ralph Klein. Um, so we can go through a period. Um, if you look at, if, if all of the tax proposals that the NDP wants go through, which they will, will still have lower taxes than Ralph Klein had in 2004. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure that will kill the, kill the province. Uh, but on the democratic accountability agenda, I think those are longer lasting. Once they're put into place, once you have a stronger ethics commissioner, once you have a red zone period around elections, once you have greater conflict of interest guidelines, once you have better protection around sole source contracts, once you have campaign finance reform, it is difficult to change those because you would have to stand up and say, I think the government should be able to manipulate its ministerial offices for partisan electoral gain. What do you think? Uh, I would have to say that, you know, having a system of $1,500 donations like they do federally when they have to run a campaign from Victoria to St. John's, uh, we need 30000 to be able to travel from Lethbridge to Fort McMurray. You know, I, I can't see how once implemented, those would be reversed. So those would have a much longer-lasting process, which leads us into, you know, the future of Alberta politics. I don't think we're about to see a 44-year NDP uh, dynasty. So, And if they are, I probably won't be here in 44 years, so you don't have to call me on that. What I do see, though, is the disappearance of the PC party. Now, I say this uh, not out of glee, not out of joy, uh, and it partially based on history, but partially based on current situations. So... We've elected, prior to the NDP, four governments. Once that dynasty left, they never came back again. So the Liberal Party never formed government again. Social credit uh, is off the map. The United Farmers of Alberta aren't even a political party. So there is that, that legacy. Um, 
Other provinces, you win an election, you lose an election, and then you come back and win an election. So a good comparison would be the PC Party of Ontario, which had a 40-year dynasty, was defeated in 1985. 1995, they came back and, and won an election. But in Alberta, the PCs were always terrified that if they ever lost an election, they would never return. And one is, is this history. But I think there's more to that. I think there are more shoes to fall uh, and more discoveries of what went on in those 44 years. And I think that is going to be incredibly damaging uh, to, to the party. Things like uh, the books being certain things not in the books, things like sole source contracts. So in many cases, there's a limit on how much money um, before it has to go to full tender. So let's say it's a million dollars, and you see a company that's got 15 contracts at $900,000. That's, that's a sole source contract. So I think there's more stuff that's going to come out of that. The other is, what does the PC party stand for? Um, as I said, ideologically, they would move with the wind, or in Ralph Klein's phrase, find out which way the parade is going and run in front of it. Uh, but really, what the glue was, was power, and the maintenance of that power. And that power is gone. They are in debt, and until we see the financial statements, which are coming, we won't know the extent of that debt. How do I know that they're in debt? They used to have 12 staffers, 12 full-paid staffers. They now have zero. Uh, that's a good indication. Uh, when campaign finance reform comes in, that's going to be tough for them to replenish uh, their, their books. Um, give you an illustration. In Edmonton, less than on the Thursday before the election on Tuesday, they had 1,500 people paying $500 a plate to hear Jim Prentice speak. When Jim Prentice resigned Tuesday night, uh, there might have been 30 people in the room. Uh, and they could have gone there for free. Uh, so I, I really believe the PCs are in trouble. And the other is that there is a right-wing party already out there. So whether the PCs, uh, there will be no formal merger, okay? Uh, whether they just wither away and die, uh, like the Socreds in BC, like the PCs in Saskatchewan. The Conservative Party in Saskatchewan is the Saskatchewan Party, okay? Not the PC Party. Um, the Conservative Party in BC is the Liberal Party. There's a lot of reasons for why that actually happened. But uh, it's going to be tough for them to, to continue. So, what, there is, so that leaves a couple possibilities. One is a two-party system like we see in the rest of the prairies where there's sort of a left-of-center NDP and a right-of-center party, whether that's the PCs in, in uh Manitoba, whether that's the Saskatchewan Party in Saskatchewan, whether that is the uh, Liberal Party in BC, moving to that sort of two-party system, or the possibility that there remains a big hole in the centre. Um, could someone play that hole? Uh, could it be the Liberals? That could be tough. They're down 4% of the vote, one seat, largely on the, uh, the personal popularity of David Swan. You have an Alberta party that also has one seat, um, is there some sort of merger opportunity? We'll have to see. So whether it becomes a two-party system like we see in the prairies or a three-party system like we see in uh, Nova Scotia and Ontario uh, remains, to be, uh, to, remains to be seen. But I, I do think that this is the end of the, the PCs as an electoral force. One minute. Okay. I'm um, getting close to the end. Um, 
So we can talk about party realignment, how that exists, but at the very least, we will go to a much more mature political system where elections are fought on a more competitive basis, parties are defeated, parties come back and win, will become a province like the rest of the provinces, I believe. So that's my talk. I'm hoping that somewhere in the last 28 minutes I give you something to think about uh, and that we can have a further discussion uh, after we've eaten. Either that or it'll be a quick trip home for you. So thank you.